Hello, darkness, my old friend. Hello, and welcome to Chronically Narnia, the podcast in which my co-host and I discuss the Chronicles of Narnia, chapter by chapter, and today we are discussing chapter 12 of The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. This chapter is called The Dark Island. Wow. And when I tried to write that in my notes, I wrote The Lone Island. No, we've already been there. <laughs> anyway, I am Rhinelf, the very quiet first mate of the ship apparently also known as Kristen, and this is my co-host i'm a dream come true you're a dream come true uh-huh also known as chris well chris i know that's what you think sometimes yes dream come true also known as chris yeah how do we start this podcast Kristen? well we start this podcast by introducing ourselves and then what <laughs> Then, well, first we start this podcast by announcing the chapter and title and book. Then we introduce ourselves. Then, as a third part, we will do our summaries. Where, and then what happens? And then we discuss the chapter <laughs> in a vaguely chronological order. Uh-huh. And then we do some other stuff. Anyway, so, as Chris and I are reading through the chapters, we will... Look for sentences to try to summarize the plot into five sentences. Uh, So, Chris, do you want to read your five-sentence summary first? Sure, let's do that. All right. So here is my summary of The Dark Island. About nine in the morning, very suddenly, it was so close that they could see it was not land at all. No. Nor even, in an ordinary sense, a mist. But I hope it will never be told in Narnia that a company of noble and royal persons in the flower of their age turned tail because they were afraid of the dark. This is where dreams, dreams, do you understand, come to life, come real. Lucy leant her head on the edge of the fighting top and whispered, Aslan, Aslan, if ever you loved us at all, send us help now. The dark island and the darkness had vanished forever. Okay, there you go. Mm-hmm. Here's mine. Cool. <laughs> the darkness lay ahead, much nearer and larger, but still very dim, so that some thought it was still a long way off, and others thought they were running into a mist. Lucy, up in the fighting top, had a wonderful view of the exact moment at which they entered the darkness. This is the island where dreams come true. At first, it looked like a cross, then it looked like an airplane, then it looked like a kite, and at last, with a whirring of wings, it was right overhead and was an albatross. The dark island and the darkness had vanished forever. I figured we'd get at least one sentence in common in there. Yep. Yeah, well. Do albatrosses whir? That's the really important takeaway (laughs) from this chapter that I feel like we need to discuss. Do the wings of an albatross whir? I've never encountered an albatross in in my day-to-day life. So I I don't know from experience what they do. Yeah, not sure. 
could look it up. I mean, you could look up what sound do albatrosses' wings make. I could. I don't know if I'll actually get an accurate answer to that on the internet, though. Yeah. I mean, while we're talking about things that you can't get an accurate answer to on the internet, I was, un like, this chapter mentions Rhinelf, who is who uh -huh. I introduced myself as. Yes. And I was like, I don't remember there ever being somebody named Rhinelf on the boat. I don't remember this character being mentioned previously. Same. I'm not going to go reread through or flip through the book. I'm going to go to the internet and be like, tell me more about Rhinelf from chapter 12 of Voyager of the Dawn Treader. And the internet's just like, here's a picture of the actor who played him in the movie. And he was the first mate on the ship. And he was a Telmarine who was born in Narnia in year 2306. And this is all of the things that it's going to... Like, there's a full bio of him on Wikipedia. And nothing, nothing, nothing that I can find anywhere that tells me whether or not he's mentioned before chapter 12. Yeah. If he was, I think it was once. Because I looked this up too. And I also didn't want to go reread through the whole book just to find this information out. Yeah. If only we had, like, a PDF copy of the book we could go, like, Control-F in. Yeah, I mean, that would be nice. It would be. Uh, the name didn't sound unfamiliar, but I still saw it, and I was just like, who? And I was really upset. I don't know. I was really upset that he showed up. Yeah, because, because this it messes up your seven This completely characters. throws a wrench into my whole symmetry of the book idea. Yeah. Where there's seven lords and there's seven named characters on the ship. No, wait, there's an eighth named character on the ship, and I have to throw that whole thing out. Yeah, true. <sighs> cool. Yep. Anyway, so... <laughs> no, I wanted to hear your thoughts on that. Continue, please. Um, Tell us more about your frustration and rage with Rhinelf, which is why I introduced myself as Rhinelf. Yeah, I figured... Uh, I mean, some of that factors into my baseless speculation that we'll go into, but yeah, I don't know. The only thing I can think of that might actually save this theory is that if we have, uh, if we have seven characters who are like representing the lords or the virtues and then one person on the ship who is just like an Along observer or something, yeah, or something like that, the narrator or something else. Maybe Lucy. Maybe Lucy is the standout. Yeah, except Lucy had her whole thing on the uh, colonial island. So right at the top of the chapter, I guess, before we go into discussing the plot of this one, uh, we need to address the last episode. Yes. Where we had some, we had a lot of listener response. We had we had two, two <laughs> listener res respond. Kristen, you're supposed to make it sound like we have much many more listeners to this podcast. We had more than twice as many responses as we usually get just on the topic of colonialism. I know, at least 500. Um, <laughs> so a lot of people out there want us to address this thing where we didn't really touch on this at all when discussing like the plot of... Corey can and the duffel puds yes where apparently a lot of people see this as a very like colonialism metaphor and even lewis kind of sort of defending british colonialism Ooh, okay and this idea of like the the wealthy and educated need to go and save the the poor natives from their from themselves yeah and their stupidity and we need to teach them a better way of life indeed absolutely uh, which reading in, reading the chapter, I didn't get that impression, but let's, oh, I did. let's discuss. I for sure got that impression, but yeah, from like the colonialism side of things, like it's, it, there is a very obvious connection that can be made there that says like, oh yeah, well the Delphal Puds are so dumb they can't even feed themselves. So they need 
Anyway, so this old this old man who knows how to make, you know, a good British breakfast can uh, come feed them and help them and teach them the civilized way of how to get water from the stream nearby instead of wandering through nature and enjoying their habitat. Um, and it's very, like, it is very demeaning to the duffel puds. So, yes, there's very much this idea that you can draw a direct line between the duffel puds as the, the way the magician handles them and this idea of British colonialism being like, no, we need to come bring civilization to the, the weary, dumb people of the world. With that said, though, there is also some ideas out there that people say, oh, well, Lewis was born with one of his thumbs not being able to move and like the duffel puds are his analogy for himself in this book where he is like overcoming his handicap of his broken thumb in his life or whatever. So like there's a couple of different ways people look at it, but like from a literary perspective, this is absolutely a colonialism metaphor and it is very positive in its colonialism message. You can say that I would argue that with the examples that we are presented with in the chapter, though, like, you can't argue that the duffel puds aren't stupid. Uh, except that I can, because the duffel puds have really good ideas. Like I argued in the episode, planting cooked potatoes makes sense. It's smart. It's creative. It's beautiful. How except long... it doesn't work. Yes, It however... obviously doesn't work in reality. Yes, however... You don't learn that it can't work by not trying. And they're taking away practical learned experience from the duffel puds. Like the duffel puds, sure, I want to try to wash everything up before dinner. Now, I know if I think through this logically that dinner's the part that makes these things dirty. So I'm going to have to do the washing up after. But planting a cooked potato... Is, is you're only going to learn that that doesn't work by trying it because it makes sense. And like I said, this is a world with a toffee tree in it. So what, like also, like I said in the last episode, if the magician wanted to make these be the rules of the island, he could do it. So, I mean, if that, if those were, if that's what Karaikin wanted to be the rules, those could be the rules. And these guys aren't stupid. They're, they're creative. They see a problem and they're focused on the wrong thing. Like they, they see that the cat got into the dairy. They want to protect the milk. Well, you could either chase a cat around or move the milk. There are two options. And everyone's like, oh yeah, they're stupid because they took the milk out of the dairy instead of trying to get the cat out. Because it's a much less efficient option. Cats are not easy to move when they do not want to. Have you ever tried to get a cat to move somewhere it did not want to go? Yes. Yeah. It is not a good time. Yeah. There are two solutions to the problem. And just because you think that this solution is better does not mean that for a, a duffel pud, for a duffer, for a little dwarf trying to catch a cat as opposed to you trying to catch a cat like it's already a problem for you to try to catch a cat and get it to go where it doesn't want to go imagine if you were a halfling mm -hmm. what about their demonstrated lack of ability to form original thoughts and be like i water. think that cooking 
Cooking a, a potato and then planting it is an original thought. Right, water's powerful wet stuff. Yes, it is. They're observant. They're making sure that they're conveying information to each other. Okay. I know you want to go into the side of like the defending the native allegory here. So that being said, what would it take for you to actually be like, yes, the duffel puds are stupid? I don't what care would if they they're stupid. They don't need Karayakin. They'll figure it out. Yeah. And if they don't, then, oh, well, natural selection. There are okay. there are some some things that you don't need to just go fix. Mm-hmm. Or or especially things that you don't need to turn into like something that's like, oh, they're so cute. They're so funny. Let's leave them that way. Okay. I mean, I, I we can we can move on. I just we have to move on. We spent ten minutes on that, and we haven't even we haven't even talked about our chapter. Uh, anyway, so we we kind of disagree. I don't think Lewis is necessarily defending colonialism because uh, I really don't think that's his jam. But well, I, I, maybe subconscious. I think that he absolutely is because that's his culture. That's what he grew up in. That's his home. That's his wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. But also, like. I disagree with you that the Duffers are stupid and need someone. I think that the Duffers are capable of learning because they have been shown to be able to learn by example, not by a hand of dictatorship. I mean, if we break the fourth wall here, we can just say Lewis created the Duffers. And if he says they're stupid, they're just stupid. Yeah, but Reepicheep taught them how to vote. They can learn skills. They can learn things just by being taught by example, not by being forced to get the water. Like, they could watch the magician go get his own water from the river and see how efficient he is and maybe decide that they want to do it that way. Uh huh. Like, they don't need him to deform them so that they have to get the water from closer. Yeah. It's not, they're not, stu- they're not, they're not unable to learn. Mm-hmm. I mean, we could also go the angle of maybe this is Lewis's take on, like, the question of disability and, like, why a loving God is, like, would create somebody who's disabled or has some sort of deformity. Which is why I brought up the mm-hmm. thumb thing yeah. that people talk about, like, this is Lewis handling his own deformity uh-huh. where he couldn't use his thumb and so this is how he translated that into a text. Uh-huh. That is also not a flattering way to look at it. Like, the Duffers are like, why have we been uglified? Well, it's because we didn't want to obey you. He's like, no, you're, you, you got turned into what you are. It's not uglifying because you wouldn't listen to me. Well, that's so much better. <laughs> anyway, so we should actually talk about the chapter that we're in. But, uh, also, uh, going back to the last chapter, we had the line about the stars coming to islands, mm-hmm. and I had a very interesting idea that the stars were, like, alive, and came down and rested on islands, and that maybe Karaikin was a star, because of the context in which Lewis said it to him. And I just really, I like, I just appreciated that imagery or that idea. I, I, I don't know, I liked it. I liked it for Narnia, to be like, stars on islands 
And yeah. like, I thought it brought something really interesting into each of these islands when you think about like the magic of the dragon and the town that's been devastated. And then when we get to the dark island and like, I don't know, I just thought it had a really cool kind of like idea for. Yeah. Adding to the deep lore of the Narnia verse. Yeah. Cool. So we should talk about what actually happens in this chapter. So in this chapter, we approach an island. Well, we don't know it's an island yet. But we know it's a mass of darkness. Yes. And Kristen, have you ever like looked into like a train tunnel that's either like <laughs> really long or like curves so that you can't really see all the way through it? I have looked into tunnels like this. Yes. Okay. So I then do you understand. Then, this. You, then you then you then you know how this works. Yes, I do. So, <laughs> so basically, there is like regular daylight and then like a little twilight zone and then suddenly darkness. There wasn't like a sharp divide between those, but like suddenly. Suddenly yeah. darkness. Suddenly darkness. Uh, and they and it was no just sharp this, divide, but suddenly. And there was this big mass of darkness that they they came across, and they have this argument about whether or not we actually want to approach this or investigate it. And nobody actually seems to want to go to this island except for Ravenchief. Mm-hmm. And he is the one advocating this because of I don't know Pride, adventure honor. or valor and this is the first chapter that i don't know reaper chief's been a contentious character this whole book mm. i know you like him a lot but this is one of those chapters where it was just like reaper chief is just kind of dumb mm. because there's he, but he's proved to be right yes but he's he's proud he's proud to a fault yeah and he's just like yeah, here's this really dark, ominous island where we literally can't see anything and, like, anything could be there and come and kill us. Yeah. But we should go anyway because, like... Because we can't have be, it said that we were yeah, cowards. We can't have it said that we were cowards. Like, mm -hmm. this is a bad role model for for children. <laughs> True. Of, like, teaching, teaching children, oh, no, you need to do, like, literally anything if some, you know, if there's the off chance if you don't do it, somebody says you're a coward. Like, yeah, jump off that bridge. Like, do things that seem, like, outwardly very dangerous because you don't you don't want somebody to think that you don't have the guts or that you lack the honor to do it. Yeah, but it's, it, like, honor <sighs> versus guts are different. Yes. But and he's all about honor. Mm-hmm. But he also is he's just... He's the Klingon on the crew. Yes, but he also says, you know, I don't want it to be talked about Narnia later that this, like... This crew of young noble people in the in the flower of their youth would turn the tail and rage. Yeah, turn tail and ran because they were afraid of the dark. Yeah, like it's not the dark they're afraid of necessarily here. It's like they're they've already been on a voyage where they've been attacked by like a sea monster. Yeah, and like found all kinds of like crazy magical stuff. True. Like who knows what could be on this island? Yeah, yeah. I mean. Mm -hmm. And and there's a further example of Reepicheep being way too stubborn later. But anyway, there's, you know, he's just like, nope, adventure. And then Caspian just gives in because why not? And he's just like, I wish we would have left you at home. Mm -hmm. But I guess we're, I guess we're going to go unless Lucy doesn't want to. And he's trying to find an out here. Yeah. And calling on Lucy to be like, please, please say you don't want to go. And we'll turn the whole thing around. And she very much didn't want to go. But she said our phrase that was from, from the magician's nephew. I'm game. I'm game. I'm game if you are. Yeah. She's. She's she's echoing that. Or also. she's starting it, and the other one's an echo. Oh, that's true. Mm-hmm. 
Also, in your book, do you have this uh, really fun artwork no, of the I ship don't. sailing into just a big dark blob? Yeah, I don't. <laughs> it's, a, it's a thing we can post on the Instagram. It's like not even a shape of an island. There's yep. just dark. That's what dark looks like, in mm-hmm. case you were really There's confused. a sentence in this chapter that says, It was a darkness, capital D. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, Whoa. Oh, okay. <laughs> it was a darkness. Capital D darkness. So, we get the ship ready. We at least light lanterns on the ship. Get the You will up. at least order there be lights. Yep. Uh, archers get ready. Everybody's ready for battle. Like, you have all the, the fighting men up on the deck, like, mm-hmm. armed and armored. They're ready to go. Rhinelf, who is apparently there, is mm-hmm. <laughs> ready to go and take soundings. Which, again, really dumb idea just sailing into complete darkness where you can't see anything yeah i what i would do is like have a boat out ahead uh uh-huh attached to a rope to them yeah and have the boat up ahead doing soundings yeah so they have enough distance to stop the rowers yeah it's like a really good way to run into a cliff or a reef or something yeah uh so that was that was kind of silly and then they go forward and they go into this utter oppressive darkness and the only thing they can see is the lanterns on the ship nothing else around and there's like two pages of just describing how dark it is yep uh and how dreary and how scared everybody is uh and then they hear a voice crying out from the darkness yes and it says mercy uh mercy even if you're only one more dream have mercy take me on board and just this voice coming from out of nowhere and then Caspian's like, where are you? Come aboard. There's another cry out in the darkness. Somebody's swimming toward the boat. Then somebody's beside the boat. They heave him up on board. And there's an old man. Yep. He just comes out of the darkness. And he's got a, like long white hair and like a beard and like wearing rags. And he's like raving mad. Yep. And he tells them all about what this island is. It is the island where dreams come true. Oh, really? That's yeah. exciting. No. <laughs> dreams. Real dreams. Yeah. Not and, daydreams. And everybody gets really excited about uh, about this. They're daydreams. They get excited about that <laughs> for two seconds. And he goes, not daydreams. Just dreams. dreams. And then everybody starts remembering all of their nightmares. And they mm-hmm. freak out and yeah. get out of there. And Reap Cheap says, have you no honor? This is this is mutiny, Captain. This is mutiny. Are you going to allow this mutinous? And Caspian just yells over the top of him, Pull row, row, row. Yeah, this poltroonery. Yes. Uh, so let's pause here and, because there's not really a lot to talk about in this chapter. Let's pause here and dissect this idea of the island where dreams come true. Mm. I feel like that. I mean, this chapter has a very different feel than. The rest of the islands that we've gone to. Yeah, this one is the most... Because you you read the Duffelpud Island as being very ominous and scary. At, like, which, in at a first. way, the concept of it is where mm-hmm. they find these invisible creatures. But up to that point in the book... It's not scary. It's not It's not put across as being scary. Mm-hmm. And this is the first truly terrifying thing in this book. Yeah. Which coming off the heels of the duffel puds where it was like, hey, we're going to pre- have something that could be a little bit scary, a little bit ominous, 
We're going to go up this creepy staircase and see these creepy masks and know that there's a magician up here invisible somewhere. Mm -hmm. And have this little anxious moment and then be like, oh, Aslan's here and it's fine. And the duffers are funny. They're, you know, despite the fact that they threw a spear at us earlier. Yeah, they're they're funny. We're going to teach them how to boat and give them wine and like. Then you go straight from there to this, and mm-hmm. it's a very sh- stark tonal shift. Mm-hmm. But it still conveys the same theme in the end, with the chat, with the verse, or with the verse, with mm-hmm. the sentence that I read in my summary. At first, it looked like a cross. It was an aeroplane. It was a kite, and at last, it was an albatross. Uh-huh. And it guides them out after Lucy says, "Aslan." Like, if you have ever loved us, help us now. Mm-hmm. And it, it goes along with the same theme of in that moment of terror and fear in the upstairs of the magician's house, Lucy called on the unseen to become visible and Aslan was there mm-hmm. as like he had always been there. Yeah. And so we have come into this even more terrifying concept of the Dark Island and the dreams and everything. And Lucy calls upon the unseen Aslan, uh-huh. and he appears as an albatross, essentially. He, I assume, sends the albatross, or it's him himself, or whatever. Like, there is something sent to guide them out. Yeah. Is there... So there's this repeated theme of, you know, Aslan showing up and being there and rescuing them from all their misadventures, which... You know, why he sanctioned this journey in the first place, who knows, when he was just like, I'm going to have to spend the entire time saving them from, like... Themselves. Themselves and all the dumb stuff they run into out there. Yeah. That being said, is there... Is there this... uh, I want to say there's a continued theme of the things they're finding in the lands they're visiting becoming more magical the further out they go. I mean, I think that there is definitely a point to be made with that, where, like, the civilization of man kind of pushes out this magic. Yeah. Um, Because the Lone Islands didn't have any magic. Mm Mm-hmm. And then... Dragon Island. We had the dragon. Mm Mm-hmm. We had the empty island with Reba Cheap's boat. Uh Uh-huh. And then we had the sea monster. Mm Mm-hmm. And then we had the duffel puds. Well, we had the gold island. Oh, and then we had the gold island. Then What's we the had the duffel puds. Mm-hmm. Death water. That's yeah. it, right? And then we had Cryakin's Island. And then we have, I don't like calling it Cryakin's Island. That's very <laughs> colonial. The duffel puds island. The duffers. And the duffers island. And then we have this dark, yeah, I would agree with you that the progression is getting decidedly more magical mm-hmm. and less civilized. Yeah. Humans are inherently unmagical, it seems, and they push magic out from around them. Like we have in Narnia, the cohabitation, the co-living together of the talking animals and the the humans. Mm -hmm. But like in Pallerman, we just have humans there and there's no magic there except for when Rabidash gets turned into a donkey and gets sent back. Yeah. Part of me wants to see it almost as like a very slow moving wave because if we do it chronologically like we have been 
starting in Magician's Nephew, like, we're there for the creation of Narnia, and when Narnia is created, like, there's this, you know, just magic is everywhere, and there's magic in the land, and even then we start seeing the residual magic fade away, because, uh, like, we, we plant the toffee and kind of create this toffee tree, mm. and, you know, the, you know, the lamppost grows up, and there's this energy of creation that kind of slowly fades out as Narnia becomes more established. All right. And maybe this is just like the far-flung reaches of this magical wave of creative energy okay. is that the further they go out from narnia like wild magic still exists and potential for things to be still exists yeah you know like potential to plant a cooked potato and have a cooked potato <laughs> tree <laughs> except not that because it doesn't work for them um it should uh-huh and then kind of culminating in this very, very surreal island where apparently dreams can just come true. Which, really, we we never see any evidence of this. Everybody we, starts hearing things, though. Yes. We, he, we hear, like, Lord Roop's account of... Oh, it's Roop, sorry. Spoilers. We hear Roop's account of, of what happens here, and everybody starts hearing things. We never really see anything happen, though. Mm-hmm. But they hear things. Mm -hmm. Each one of them hears different things. One of them hears gongs. One of them hears a sea monster in the water. One of them hears them crawling up the sides of the ship. Yeah. One of them hears something up in the masts. Yeah. So that's a thing. And so they realize that dreams coming true isn't necessarily a good thing. And then against Reaper Sheep's advice, they turn tail and run. And Reaper Sheep is very upset about it. Mm-hmm. Which again, Reba Cheap, kind of dumb. It's just like, hey, well, I mean, maybe Reba Cheap's never had a nightmare. But what yeah. Caspian says to him is that there are some things no man can face. Mm-hmm. He says that to Reba Cheap. I'm like, what, what? What kind of darkness lives in Caspian's mind? Hmm. What is what is he really afraid of? Uh, anyway, so they they probably start... watching his father die or something. Wow. At Miraz's hand getting dark here nope <laughs> the dark island anyway <laughs> so anyway we start we we turn tail and we run and we start rowing outward and they're not making as much progress because they start hearing things and they're just like wait how long have we been going because it took us five minutes to get in it's been double that trying to get out yep obviously we're going in the wrong way or we're going in circles or whatever yep and then like the old man starts cackling maniacally and just being like, nope, you'll never get out. We're trapped here. We'll never He's get out. obviously driven completely insane. I was dumb to, know, to think that I could ever get out. Yeah. Uh, and then Lucy gives a little prayer. Yep. And it is it is one of the few examples I feel like we have in the books of something that's explicitly a prayer happening. Yeah, I would agree with that. It's like, that doesn't happen a lot. Yeah, I don't... Where somebody directly calls upon Aslan to come help them. Yeah. I mean, other than Lucy being like, awake, awake, awake to the trees in Mm -hmm. the Prince Caspian book, I don't really think that there is a specific moment where someone says, like, Aslan, we need you, and Aslan shows up in the same, like, in the same way that it does here. Yeah. With, like, the reaction to this where she says, Aslan, if you ever loved us, Mm -hmm. which I thought was interesting phrasing for a child, (laughs) like... Jeez... Not, th- not that he's shown up dozens of times before to help you out. Yeah. Like, if you ever loved us, like, I I know you don't care, but. Yeah. And so, um, 
but like help us now or something. I don't know the rest of the line, but like that, if you ever loved us, stood out to me a lot. Yeah. But the way that Lucy says it is just like, you know, show up, help. And the next uh, thing that happens is there's some light that uh-huh. appears. At first it looks like a cross. <gasps> <Ooh>. <laughs> but then an airplane. Uh, At first it looks like a stone table. Yeah. And then <laughs> it looks like Aslan's how. And then And then a whirring It looks albatross. like a giant wave breaking a bridge. And then <laughs> Oh man, this would have been a great point for Bacchus to show up in this book. <laughs> <sighs> Maybe. Uh so the albatross shows up and it's a brightly glowing albatross that leads them out. And they decide to follow the bird because it's a good omen. And they look, they find the light again. And they find the ocean. And hooray, huzzah, we've been rescued. We talk to the old man in the ship who reveals himself as being Lord Roop. He says that when he was worth anything, that's what they called him at least. Yeah. Uh, and he's really excited to meet Caspian. And Roop is just like, yeah, no. Don't ever take me back there. Yeah, just but, grant me this boon. Never take me back to that island. But back where? They look back and it's gone. Because the island has disappeared. You and I wanted have to... destroyed it. I think we had very little to do with that. Yeah. And I want to pause here uh, and kind of focus on that. Because this is a first for the book. Because the, the theme for the book has been, oh, hey, look, they sail further. They find an island. There's a problem. They solve the problem. They move on. Like either leaving the island behind or, like, leaving it better than they found it, quote-unquote, which is what they did with the uh, the Duffer's Island. But this one just disappears. Yep. This one had to be discovered after they got their magic map from Karayakin. Otherwise, the map would be, um, like, have this weird, like, hole in it. Yeah. It would. <laughs> it's a black hole, if you will. Yeah. A dark dark place so what do you think it means that the island just vanishes i don't know um i think that rather than your wave of creative magic and energy Uh i think that this is a place of tired magic energy that is getting old and weary and it's and it's the only reason that it's holding on is because there's still a person there being the victim of it roop Okay. And so. that the only reason that it is still attached to the world and hasn't faded out is because a person went there, got trapped there, and has been interacting with the magic in some way. Like I, mm-hmm. I feel like this is this is tired old dark magic. Okay. That is just holding on by the scruff of Roop's neck. And when he is not there anymore, it is allowed to dissipate and fade out and be gone. And it is finished. Mm -hmm. It's done. Yeah, so who is the only thing holding it together? Possibly. I mean, this is just an idea. Like, if we we think about magic as, as like, I don't know, dark and light, Mm -hmm. as opposed to being an, I don't know, as opposed to magic being like an awe moral force that can be used for good or bad. Yeah. Like having having a dark magic versus a good magic. Like, I don't know, it just it it it, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily fit, but it just feels like an interesting theory that I, I liked that yeah. bounced around in my head for a minute. 
Hmm. My question is, how has Rube survived all this time? Well, because I mean, there's obviously food and water on the island. It's just whether or not he gets to it and it disappears. Uh-huh. Or he gets to it and it's actually real, so. Yeah, like, like obviously can't see anything. Like, yeah. complete utter darkness. So he's been effectively blind, probably, for the entire time of, that we've been on the island. And, like, any kind of dream can come true. So all sorts of, like, nightmare scenarios or creatures can show up. It's like, and if it becomes real, like, ostensibly these things could actually hurt or kill you. And so somehow Rupus survived for years on this island full of nightmares. Yeah. I mean, we assume years. (sighs) We don't know how long that it took for the lords to get this far. Uh Uh-huh. We don't know how long any of the lords have been dead or... Like, for for all we know, the lords could have taken three years to get this far. Uh-huh. And, like, he's only been here for about a month. Like. Possibly. We don't actually have any firm grasp of how long it's taken the lords to get this far at any point. Yeah. Who knows? Like, maybe we'll find out more from Roop in the next chapter because it's this book I'm going to say we don't and he doesn't actually provide any useful information. Well, he's been traumatized. Yeah. Do you really expect him to give you, like, he also has been in a darkness place. He doesn't have day and light to be like, I was there for six weeks. Yeah. Uh, he was just there. He could still he... find food and meat stuff, though, apparently. Or uh, it was just a magical place that kept him alive. Because it needed to keep him alive for to exist itself in some sort of weird cycle. Yep, because it's um, a pitcher plant. Yep. But then he escapes. Yep. Cool. And then they leave, the island is gone, and then they're off. Yes. On to the next adventure. Of course, the albatross is an image, like in the rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, it is an image that is symbolic of of God, creative power, and like innocence. And uh-huh. like the dead albatross is a symbol of sin. Yeah. So we have the albatross here being a very direct, like allegory and analogy reference etc like it's a very loaded image yeah is what i'm trying to say is that the the albatross is it's not it's not like a oh i wonder if the albatross is g is is aslan it's like yeah the albatross is aslan it's god it's creation and its power and it's guiding them out and just in case anyone might have missed the reference to the albatross let's make sure that it looks like a cross at first yep in case that was too subtle for you cool um yeah this this is a hard chapter to talk about because i feel like my biggest issue here is that there's a i feel like there's a lot of wasted potential and like when you go to an island where like literally dreams can trump can can come true there's so much that he could have done with this that would have been really fun and like we could have used this as a really good opportunity to explore some characters psyches and like things they desire or things they're afraid of or like really get into some development with some of the characters we haven't really spent a lot of time on so far like you know not necessarily caspian because caspian's had an island but like Maybe Reepicheep, or maybe Drenian, or, like, somebody goes in, and we have this whole sequence of, like, here's what they see, and here's what their dreams are. And that could be a window into the character. And I, and I, 
just feel like there's lost potential here because we don't explore that. Yes. And we just like, we go in, we see the dark, we get afraid of the dark, we rescue a guy who talks about why the dark is bad and we leave. Uh-huh. And like nothing actually happens to anybody on the ship except they hear some things. Yeah. True. Mm-hmm. So I guess what is, what's the point or the moral of this chapter? It's like we could go into all sorts of things because we spent three chapters with the Duffers and like obviously there's a lot of allegory on Dragon Island and there's even a little like greed fable on, on Deathwater. What is our lesson here? Yeah. Well, and I think that this is the moment where we have to like go into, if we're, are we, are we seven deadly sinsing? Yeah, you can do a little bit since I mean, it's just like, established fiction at this point. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to say that there is multiple lists of the seven deadly sins. Yeah. We have like some of the Greek lists and Catholic lists and all of these different things. Uh-huh. In one set of them, one of the seven deadly sins is despair. And yeah. I feel like we have to adjust our list that we're pulling from as opposed to like the contemporary Catholic list. Yeah. Because I don't know if that's what Lewis would have been drawing from as opposed to some of the, like, m- older looks at these. I mean, he was a big mythology fan. Yes. So I would say that we, we need to reevaluate the list we're pulling our Possibly. seven deadly sins from and include despair. And this would be despair. We could do that. I, I, I was going to go into how I thought this island might be lust and this is our best candidate for lust so far. Ah. Uh but we could we could look at other lists, but I would I would want to spend more time researching that uh, to readvise my well. We have Gola Gluttony, the Luxaria Fornicatio, which is the lust or fornic- fornication, um, avarice, greed, sorrow, despair, despondency, wrath, sloth, vainglory, and pride or hubris, which I feel like these work better uh-huh because this is this is with the greek mythology and in like i feel like these work better with our islands as we've seen them yeah. because it has vainglory and also pride mm-hmm. and also avarice greed uh-huh i do find it interesting how like the the differences between those lists because if i'm like remembering correctly the two things on the the Catholic seven deadly sins that aren't on there are envy and sloth, and they're replaced by basically despair and vanity. Sloth is on both. Oh, it's on both. Yeah, envy is on one and not the other. But I would say that envy can be part of greed very easily. Yeah, it could be. But yeah, anyway. It would be like the Catholics to not think despair is a sin. <laughs> Anywho. <laughs> wow. So if, if there's nothing else, I think we're pretty much done discussing like what actually happened in the chapter. Yeah. Cool. Would you like to move on to our rewrites? Sure. Or I explain the summaries. You explain the rewrites. All right. So also when we're going through the chapter, we pick out five additional sentences that don't go into our summary most of the time that we use to tell our own story and we just rewrite something and uh try to see what we can come up with given the given the ingredients that the chapter offers us so that being said kristen since i read my summary first would you like to read your rewrite first sure cool yours is really short 
And the lights themselves, as always happens at the wrong time of day, looked lurid and unnatural. It was a darkness. Who calls? it piped. I don't think it was us, said Lucy. We shall never get out. Okay, so just taking a different turn on, like, the horror of this chapter. And, like, I was trying not to. Like, I was trying really hard. But, like, this chapter is so hard not to just, like, make a darkness-themed thing. Uh-huh. Like, I was trying to make the darkness, like, a, a, a character. Uh-huh. It was a darkness. Who calls? It piped. Uh-huh. Like, I was trying to make the darkness a character, but then, like, I couldn't get a good wrap-up line. Yeah. Like, I couldn't end it with anything. Yeah. Like... And then they fed him. Like, I, I, I couldn't even find a sentence like that. Yeah. Uh, I I worked around with mine a little bit. I was trying to go in a different direction and kind of play with the themes of the chapter and turn it into a much more lighthearted take. Okay. So I was trying to, to be a bit more jaunty with mine. But here we go. But what manner of use would it be plowing through that blackness? Asked Adrenian. I reckon I'd find I was married to Nancy if we landed here. Ugh, said a sailor. There are the gongs beginning. There was about half a minute's silence, and then, with a great clatter of armor, the whole crew were tumbling down the main hatch as quick as they could and flinging themselves on the oars to row as hard as they had never rowed before. Andrinian was swinging round the tiller, and the boatswain was giving out the quickest stroke that had ever been heard at sea. There you go. So that's my lighthearted take. Okay. Of them going to the dark island and one being like, I bet I'd be married to Nancy if we landed here, and everybody being scared of that possibility. <laughs> that's that's what I was going for. Yeah. Okay. And I was I was using the gongs as like, oh, I hear wedding bells. <laughs> I hear the gongs ringing. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, I had to explain it. So when I have to explain it, I feel like it loses a bit of. Oomph. Well, I mean, also you got interrupted, so I lost the flow. <laughs> uh huh. We don't want to be married to Nancy. Yeah, apparently not. Cool. So that was the rewrite. So then we can go into our last segment if you're cool with that. I'm cool with that. I'm game. <laughs> I'm game too. So our last segment is baseless speculation, where prior to doing this podcast, I've never really uh, read any of these books before, and I, for the most part, don't know what the plot is. And I like to baselessly speculate based on information that's there about what might happen later on. Hmm. We have four chapters left, Chris. We do have four chapters left. How many lords have we found? Gosh, you're making me do math now. Um, <laughs> one on the Lone Island, one on Dragon Island, one on Deathwater, mm-hmm. and now we've found Roop. Yep, because we didn't have any kind of lord situation on the Duffer's Island. Correct. We did find out that they had been there. So we have four. Four accounted for, three, uh, three lords left, and, and four, four chapters. chapters. All right. So we got to find one more each chapter if we're going to have a last chapter for wrapping up. Yep. Uh, so my baseless speculation, um, I don't know, it, gets, it goes in lots of different directions because this chapter really threw me off for uh, some of the storyline I've been working up prior to this. I see. So my first thing I thought of was just because I hate Reinhelf's existence okay. <laughs> and the fact that he... Uh, he throws off my my poetry of the lore of there being seven lords and seven named people on the ship. Uh-huh. 
and we both had this question of, has Ryan Health showed up? Ryan Health. I keep wanting to put an H in there for some yeah. reason. Ryan Health. Ryan Health. Sounds like a very German name. Has Ryan Health shown up in the book before? Yeah, and, no. Because our previous list of names yeah. was Caspian, Eustace, Edmund, Lucy, Drinian, Reap, and Rince. Uh-huh. And so my first question is, is Ryan Elf real? Or is he a product of someone's dream? Uh-huh. Yeah, that's what I was going <sighs> to say. Like, I was going to bring that up if you didn't. Yeah. So we... Is we, Ryan Elf actually just the embodiment of the Dark Island and the reason that it has ceased to exist is because it has humanified and has come on board? Entirely possible. Because he first shows up, and please correct us if we're wrong, somebody, but he shows up for the first time in this book as they're sailing into the darkness. I think so. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know 100%, but I feel like that's accurate. And so either maybe he's a personification of the island itself, or he's a collective dream of the crew. Possible. They've all dreamed that there was a first mate that mm-hmm. they liked better than Drenian and Rince. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, if you go onto the little wiki article about him, uh, and I, I've done this, which doesn't give away any spoilers, it doesn't, it doesn't say on the Wikipedia article, oh, Ryan Elf's a figment of everybody's imagination. But it also doesn't say much at all. Uh-huh. But it's a, he's not the first mate. It says he is a constant companion of Rince, the first mate. Oh, okay. So he doesn't even have a position on the ship. He just follows Rince around. So and he's apparently, Rince's dream. Yes. So this is Rince's island. This could be Rince's island. There we go. Finally figured it out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and... I think we have to hearken back to another line. Once it is revealed by Roop that this is the island where dreams come true, and everybody starts speculating about it, and one of them's just like, oh, I'd be married to Nancy if we landed here. And some other somebody else is like, and I'd find Tom alive again, said another. Now, it just says another, and it doesn't say who says this, but maybe, in the darkness, this is Rents. And Tom Reinelf hmm. is a friend of his. Okay. That got lost somehow. I see. And Rince is dreaming that he's back. Yeah, see, like like I've said before, we, we would write a such better book. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know. The, I mean, the only thing that doesn't really fit in with that theory is that, like, Rhinelf is described by the narrator. It's not somebody on the ship being like, you know, Rhinelf is doing this. Yeah. The omniscient narrator is saying, and here's Rhinelf. Yeah. So that kind of throws a wrench into that whole thing. Uh, and then separate from that, the, the other you know, direction I wanted to go with this is fitting this into the seven deadly sins hierarchy. And you're right, maybe we should look at other ones, and despair is definitely something that we could factor in if we're using the other list. I was going to try to go down like a lust direction with it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I was going to try to go down a lust direction with this. And it's really hard to do when I don't know what else we're going to encounter in the next four chapters. Like, the next chapter is called The Three Sleepers, which, and being introduced to the book for the first time and just reading through the chapter titles before I started reading, like, saw the Dark Island, saw the Three Sleepers, and it was like, maybe these things are related. And especially, like, when reading this chapter and being like, oh, this is an island where dreams come true, I was like, all right, the next thing is called the Three Sleepers. Maybe they go onto the island and they find people who are sleeping and dreaming up things here. Yeah. And then the island just disappears at the end of it. And I'm just like, well, <laughs> these things aren't related, I guess. Maybe. But yeah, I don't know what is else is coming 
in the rest of the book. And I pointed out before that in doing the full book summary and discussion at the end of the book, I'm probably going to have to revise all of this because there might be something that fits better. But for right now, I feel like the, you know, the dark imagery here and, you know, kind of the the sensual nature that dreams take in a lot of mythologies might lend itself to lust and like the idea of, oh, anything you desire can happen here and anything you desire comes true or like whatever your, you know, subconscious desires or fears or whatever, like those are things that become real. Yeah. So those are the two directions I was going to go with it. Uh, But yeah, you did bring up the point of this, of despair being a good fit here. Yeah. So who knows? I feel like I had a third direction to go in as well, but, uh, I mean, you could also make it a pride argument or like, just everything is pride. This is just the pride book. And we're going to have to just like throw out the whole thing. Each book is the thing. Yeah. Because pride fits too well, especially with like Reaper Cheap's like headstrong, dangerous pride that he, he wants to charge into certain death with. So there you go. Those are my disconnected thoughts about this chapter. Kind of like squeezing blood from a stone here. Like it's really hard to actually get anything substantial out of this just because, as I said, nothing really happens. Yeah. They see darkness and get scared and leave. They do get Rube. And we'll see if Rube proves to be remotely interesting or useful. Or if y'all like Eustace, we're just going to forget about him entirely. (laughs) Indeed. Like, that's not a baseless speculation, but just, like, why did Eustace stop becoming a character? Like, he was such a big deal in the first part of the book, where we have this diary, and we have the whole dragon thing, and, like, once he gets reformed and starts to, you know, go on the path of becoming a better lad, we forget about him. Yeah, because he has less story. Yeah. Like, Eustace has, like, two lines that he says in the entire time that we're on the Duffer's Island, and, yeah, that's basically it. Indeed. He's not a character anymore. Yep. He's not. Which I, I Which was... is like the loss of individual and story into the greater story. Yeah, which I was surprised by because, like, going into this, like, for quite some time, it really seemed like, hey, Eustace is the protagonist of this book. Like, he is the main character. We're following his journey and transformation. And then it just kind of fell off with him. And then maybe it sort of became Lucy, but, like, also there's chapters like this where... Lucy's not really a thing, except she prays to Aslan and an albatross shows up. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I feel like the book doesn't have a main character anymore. <laughs> the main character is just the ship. Yeah. <laughs> it does seem a little bit. Because Lewis really wanted to write a boat story. I mean, that's obvious. Yeah. I that's all I got. What you're you're furiously writing over there. What do you what do you Oh I'm actually getting with? the lists of the seven deadly sins. That's all I was working on. Oh, okay. The only difference between them is envy versus sorrow. Despair. Because mm-hmm. both lists have pride, both lists have greed, both have wrath, both have gluttony, both have sloth, both have lust. Uh-huh. This one has envy versus one having despair. Yeah. Which I, I have a hard time seeing despair as a sin. <laughs> like, that's a really... Yeah. You have to stretch really far to, like... Well, anyway. That's... I mean, it's it's lack of faith. Yeah. So, Kristen, would you like to take us out? I think we've covered just about it. 
we've done that joke before. Uh, have I? Okay. Yeah. Anyway, I think we've covered everything pretty thoroughly for this chapter. Okay. So would you like to continue? Take us out. Sure. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you want to um, tell us how wrong we are about all of these things, um, you can do that at Chronically Podcasts on Facebook and Instagram, at Chronically Pod on Twitter, or you can email us your fan art of the darkness. Really easy one. At uh, chronicallypodcast at gmail.com. And if you want to support us uh, financially, you can do that on the, our Patreon at patreon.com slash chronicallypodcast. Also, Chris has another podcast that we both participate in uh, that is a live play D&D podcast called Carpe D.M., and that is the letters D and M. Mm-hmm. And it is a live play D&D podcast that Chris is the DM for. And I am a player on along with a few of our friends. And that podcast releases bi-weekly. And if you're interested in following us there, you can hear more of our voices there. Right now the players are fighting bees. And we're fighting bees? Mm-hmm. Is that one going to be up by the time this one's up? It's not. So... In two no. weeks, we'll be fighting we'll bees. We'll be fighting bees. <laughs> little, little spoiler. <laughs> um, so yes, thank you so much for joining us. And always, you should row, row, row for your lives away from this accursed shore. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, take pride in the fact that you're not a man. You know, like Rave Chief. Mm-hmm. Bye. Bye. Explain the summaries. You explain the rewrites. All right. It's like I build such a good, like, dramatic flow, and then, oh, gotta wait for a plane. Pull, row, <laughs> row, row! Because once we get get it revealed from Roop that this is the island where Dream comes true, once we get revealed... Once, Once Roop is. reveals that this is the island where dreams come true, I don't know why that's so hard to say. With the chat, with the verse, or with the verse, with mm-hmm. the sentence that I am being introduced to the book for the first time. I'm really struggling. Mm-hmm. I guess we can't make those jokes anymore now that he's dead. But Who? Carmen. And then. Yeah. Why can't we make why can't we make jokes because someone died? I don't know. Um anyway. You can tell our coffee hasn't exactly picked in yet. This old white man to come help them. Um Does it ever say he's white? I assume he was wearing a red coat and <laughs> Lucy wasn't afraid to be alone with him. <laughs> oh my god. <sighs> <laughs> we need to cut that out too. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh.